Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church Podcast for Sunday, September 25th, 2022. Today's sermon will be from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 to 18. If you'd like to follow along, please go to gracebaptistchurchnc.org. Click the current sermons link at the top and click today's manuscript. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. Let me go ahead and read. Actually, I'm going to pray first this morning and then I will read and and read a couple other passages of Scripture before we start. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this time, this morning. Thank you for what we learned in in Sunday school this morning, that, uh, Father, you are all of who you are. We cannot think that you are more just than you are more good, or more good than you are more just. You are both just and good, and your wrath goes out. Father, your, Romans 1 says that the wrath of God now is upon unrighteousness and stands there, but yet your mercy for your people in Christ is, is great. And uh, so, Father, we give thanks this morning. Um, thank you for a time we can look into your word and consider this book of Hebrews that is before us, and how it presents the sacrifice of Christ by the reason that we are here. And uh, so, Father, help us this morning. I pray that Jesus would, would certainly increase, that, that I and that we would decrease. Father, in spite of me, pray that you would work through your word. Father, wherever we are, whatever we're going through, whatever we need, I pray that you would give help this morning. And so, Father, we give you this time. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of the sermon, um, as we come to the last section in Hebrews where the author is dealing with the, the sacrifice of Jesus, he comes really to a conclusion here in verses 11 to 18 as he is describing the new covenant. As all of the Old Testament pointed to this new covenant, this one-time sacrifice in Christ. And so the name of my sermon today is just the offering of Christ summarized. And we'll get to that in a minute. But I I just want to read a couple verses from the Old Testament that might help us. Because the last point today is the the sacrifice that we look back upon was prophesied. And I'm thinking, uh, just in my quiet times this week, I read a little bit here in Zechariah chapter 3. He's looking forward, Zechariah, to this one named Joshua, the high priest. Um, but, uh, you know, that's the, looking to the name of Jesus. But anyway, we see this prophesied in Zechariah 3, verse 8. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are a sign. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. As he's speaking about the servant that Isaiah speaks of. For one day, the, the true servant who would come the branch. For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. I I, I don't know if they got that back then until we get to the New Testament. Uh, Isaiah chapter 62 He says, the nations looking forward shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. 
and you shall be called by a new name. There's the looking forward to that new covenant that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem, diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken. Your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, my delight is in her. And your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. If we had time this morning, we could just hit verse after verse and scripture after scripture that speak about the coming of that one-time sacrifice that we have as Christians today in the new covenant. And so... Let's move forward now with just those couple verses in mind. Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to read verses 11 to 18. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And by the way, he's quoting from Psalm 110. Waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. And I think verse 14 is the central verse to this, to, to this particular, these few verses here today. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And then verse 15, and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Again, verses 11 to 18 bring to a conclusion the author's teaching here on the priesthood of Jesus, going all the way back to chapter 5 and then with Melchizedek and everything that we've been dealing with. This is the conclusion, and I think the key verse is in 14. By a single offering, the single offering of Christ on the cross, he has perfected, and as we'll see, perfected, fulfilled, completed, for all time, those who are being sanctified. If you are a Christian here this morning, if you have believed on the Lord Jesus, you are being sanctified. You are that set apart. We are the recipients of that one-time offering. We are the church. And so, with that in mind, I have four truths this morning that summarize, conclude this part of Hebrews. Because next week and following, we're going to see the applications of all of these doctrines worked out. But here's my four. Number one, it is a one-time sacrifice. Number two, it was a sin-bearing sacrifice. Number three, it was a victorious sacrifice. And number four, it was a prophesied sacrifice. So number one, in summarizing the offering of Christ. Number one, it was a one-time sacrifice. Look at verses 11 and 12. Chapter 10, and every priest stands daily at his service, 
offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this one, or Christ, <clears throat> came, had offered for all time a single sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of God. So in our context of Hebrews, we find particularly it was written to Jewish Christians who are considering going back to the old system after they had embraced the sacrifice of Christ. And if they do, they are going backwards. Instead of the one-time sacrifice of Christ and looking to that sacrifice, they would be going backwards, trusting those priests, those offerings, those animal sacrifice. But the author is saying, I think emphatically and hugely, he's saying, don't do it. Don't go back. Those priests, those offerings, in and of themselves, they are continual. They will, if they stay, they, they will never end. Why would they never end if God were to, to decide to do it that way? Why would they never end? Because they, they will never end because they cannot completely take away sins. And as we've seen, they cannot accomplish the will of God. As verse 14 says, they cannot perfect, they cannot fulfill, they cannot complete those who are being sacrificed. Now, I, th I don't think there's an, an illustration that I could give that fits the comparison of the sacrifice of Christ with the other sacrifices, because Christ's sacrifice was of infinite value. But I, could, I can try to give a couple examples. If we were to trust in those sacrifices of the Old Testament, it would be like maybe attempting to sail around the world in, a, in maybe a Walmart raft. How well are you going to do with that? It would be like maybe trying to say, okay, you need to dig a hole all the way down to China through the earth and over with a shovel. Do you think that you could do that? You might give those things a try, but you will never accomplish the goal of, of doing that. And then even if you were to survive either one of those, you don't have enough years in your life to complete the task. This is why the Son, before the foundations of the world, says to the Father, as we saw last couple weeks ago, I have come to do your will. Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. Look at chapter 10, verses 5 and 6. Sacrifices, verse 5, and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. This is none other than the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Very clearly. So what the author is saying is what those priests in the old system, under the old covenant, did and could not do, I will fulfill those sacrifices. I will complete what they cannot do. I will perfect that system and do what only I can do. I will make those who draw near, because think of it in Israel, those who were drawing near under that old system were gathering around on the, on the day of atonement when the priests went in the Holy of Holies. They were all there for that, but they couldn't make it to heaven. They couldn't draw near. Now what Christ has done now today, we, we draw near. And we'll see this in the next couple weeks. We draw near with full assurance. Look at Hebrews chapter 7, verses 27 and 28. 
Speaking of Christ, he has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Chapter 6, verse 23. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Today, the sacrifice of Christ is the sacrifice, we would say, of all sacrifices. It is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament sacrifices. The sacrifice of Christ completes what they picture. Remember, they're only, they're not the substance. They're only the copies. They're only the shadows that the Old Testament worshipers were looking at as those things prepared them for the coming of Christ. So from one perspective, if we think about it like this, if Christ did not come, we... I guess, I mean, this is just thinking about this hypothetically from this perspective. If Christ did not come, what would we do with that system? What would the Israelites do with that system? Continual over, over, year after year, week after week, month after month, going on and on and on. I think that we could continue forever with that old system if God so chose to do that. But do you hear the problem in the sentence that I just spoke? It is the word forever. That is exactly what would happen. Without the sacrifice of Christ, we would continue in that state forever and ever and ever and ever. And I cannot imagine. And the effects of sin in this world would remain forever. Because we're not even looking forward to the second coming yet. There would never be an entrance for God's people into heaven. All they could do was go into the Holy of Holies and go into the tabernacle. And the nations could only come to Israel and stay there in the outer parts of the temple. This is why we groan now for the redemption to come with all of creation. And when, when will this be? It will be at His second coming. And for this, we certainly wait. If Christ were to only come to, the, to this earth... And not take care of sin, he would still be victorious. But if Christ were to come and not have this one-time sacrifice and take care of sins, when he, if he were to come, what would he do? He would only judge. He would still be righteous and good and, all, and holy and all the things that God is. But he would only judge all of us as his enemies, as sinners. So this morning, do you see just a little bit the infinite, beautiful, wise, magnificent, glorious, one-time sacrifice for all time, sacrifice of the Lord Jesus? Let me give a couple applications. One application is we can, you can never trust in any other sacrifice. You cannot try and save yourself. We cannot do that. Think of Adam and Eve when they first sinned. What did they do? They covered themselves, did they not? With, with some leaves. They tried to cover themselves. But God, what does He do? 
that's not going to be enough. That's not going to work. So God brought the, the skins of animals that were slain, which, again, in and of themselves, they were just like the Old, Test, Old Covenant sacrifices. They were also not good in and of themselves, except to say to Adam and Eve, the death that I said would happen to you, now that that death has come upon those animals, and I'm using their skins to cover you. God says, I must do this. Think about Noah when he entered the ark, and God, he brought this great miracle of bringing the animals all to him. And then when it, right before it started to rain, what did God do? God shut the door. God is the one who shut the door. God is the one who had to not only tell him what to do, but he is the one who provides. So God in his grace has been doing this since the fall. And time does not allow to show all of the things that show point to this perfect sacrifice of Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, you cannot, if you're not a Christian today and you're trying to, to, to live up to some standard, to come to church enough, to give enough, to be good enough in your homes, to think that God might accept you, it will not happen. You must trust in Christ, the one-time sacrifice. Another application. Consider the alternative for turning away from the sacrifice of Christ once you have heard it. And think back in their context. Look at chapter 10, verses 26 to 29. For if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse, worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? It's alarming, but nonetheless true, that those who are in danger who are in the most danger of apostasy and turning away are those who are most familiar with the truth. Israel was the most familiar with the truth. And when Christ came, they should have seen it. And some did, of course, but they were the most familiar. Those who hear the truth on a regular basis. For that context, it was the Jewish nation. And then we see great judgment. All of their scriptures point to Christ, yet they rejected Him when He came. And in, particularly in 70 A.D., judgment came to their city, to their temple, and to their nation. But I bring that forward to us. We hear the Word week after week, and oftentimes from other folks, or we might listen to it here and there, I would say to you, do not, especially if you're not a Christian and you're thinking, I hear this all the time, do not harden your heart and do not turn away, but look unto Christ. Continually look unto Him as this one-time sacrifice. That's, no, that's the first truth this morning as we summarize this offering of Christ. The second truth is that this offering was a sin-bearing sacrifice. 
Another, <clears throat> and, and I think what the author is saying here is that this sacrifice of Christ really and truly takes away sin. And we've seen that over and over. But look at verses 11 and 12 again. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which, what? Those can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Now look over at verse 14. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Brothers and sisters, the only way we can be sanctified or set apart for God, who is holy, the only way we can be set set apart is that our sins are taken away. And they must not only be taken away, something must happen to cleanse us as well. And so our author is reminding his readers again in this conclusion that Christ's sacrifice does two things. It takes away sins, and two, it cleanses. In these verses that we've been reading through here, if you remember our examples, the author mentions the blood of bulls and goats. And then he mentions the ashes of the red heifer. In the first case, the bulls and goats, they were offered and their blood was poured out there as a sin offering. In the case of the high priest, he would take the blood of both the bulls and goats and he would enter into the Holy of Holies. He would sprinkle them upon the mercy seat as a sin offering. And so, among other things, the people knew that they deserved death because of their sins. And for that time, God commanded through Moses the sacrifice of those animals. It was still by grace through faith as they looked forward to the one-time sacrifice. But for that time, that's what they did. And that's what God commanded them to do as they looked forward to the sacrifice of Christ. So for that time, God commanded through Moses the sacrifice of those animals, for the wages of sin is death. But the law of Moses, particularly that sacrificial system, was a perpetual reminder over and over of the result of their sins against a holy God. It just continued, continued, continued over and over and over again. And they knew that if they were to be right with God, their sins must in somehow be expiated or taken away. And so, the author of Hebrews mentions the taking away of sin, showing the blood of bulls and goats. But then he mentions the idea of cleansing. You remember our our reference a few weeks ago? The heifer, the red heifer, they would kill this, this, this red cow, this red heifer, and the priest would then take, they would burn it up after the sacrifice was done, burn everything up together. They would take the ashes of that heifer, and then they would mix it, with water. And then those who had touched a dead body or done something they weren't supposed to do, they would go and take that water and they wash with that water and then they were to be cleansed. Instead of being separated from the people of Israel, then they could come and worship again and enter into their system of worship. And so they knew that if they were to be right with God, they must also not only have their sins taken away, but be cleansed somehow or another and so this is very very important and so look at verse 14 again 
the end of the day, these sacrifices were only a reminder of sins, but they could not purify the conscience or they could not cleanse from sin. Look at verse 14 again. They could not perfect for all time those who are being sanctified. But it is not so with the sacrifice of Christ. Look back at chapter 5, verse 9. And being made perfect, He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. Look at chapter 6, verse 19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Because of this one-time sacrifice, those who trust in this sacrifice, their sins are forgiven. And they are made clean by the power of the Holy Spirit. So this is what Christ has done for us in, the, in this one-time sacrifice as He ushers in and brings in the new covenant. Look at chapter 8 of Hebrews, verses 10 to 12. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. They shall teach, excuse me, they shall not teach each one of his neighbor and each one of his brothers saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. So how do we apply this truth? This sin-bearing sacrifice. One application. Only the sacrifice of Christ will take care of all of your sins, which are insurmountable. This means that your conscience is no longer guilty. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are a new creation. Think of all the sins, if you can do that. Think of the sins you've committed this week. Some of, some of you may not be thinking about that much at all. You've, in your estimation, you've been pretty good. Kids, you said, yep, I've been very obedient to my parents. Or I haven't lost my temper, which is what I usually do. Or I haven't got angry on the road with the driver that is just, just completely incapable of having a driver's license. Or whatever it is in your marriage, or whether you're at school and you've not been kind to someone, we could just think about all kinds of sins, and they are insurmountable. Maybe you've had a, had a fight this morning. Or you've lost your temper with your spouse this morning? I don't know. Or your kids? On and on we can go. If we think about all of our sins. <laughs> As a Christian, when you think of your sins, what do you do? When the world thinks of their sins, even if they use the word sin. When we lived in Russia... Communism had gotten and atheism had gotten such a hold that they completely eradicated the, the, the word sin out of their vocabulary. Anything you did wrong was a mistake. 
So it was a mistake against the government, a mistake against some. It was just you didn't do what was right or required of you according to society. But when you think, when the world thinks of their sins, what do they do to get accepted? Well, they, they do all they can do, and that's try to be good, right? That's why when you go out and talk to someone about God's law or the Ten Commandments, and, and you ask people about things, it's pretty quickly, you, even if someone has not broken you know, the direct laws of God in whatever way, they've broken them in their hearts, right? I mean, that's one thing Jesus does clearly when we come to the New Testament. So when the world sees their sin, what do they do? They try to be better. They try to be a little bit religious. They try to be good to their neighbor. Or they give to some charity. But outside of Christ, that just continues, doesn't it? It just continues over and over and over again. There they go. Now, let's think about that as from a Christian perspective. If you are a Christian, and I bring up all of these sins, and you go, check, 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 yes. And then you look at the sins of the heart. Maybe you've been unfaithful to your spouse in your heart. Whatever it might be, then what do you do? If you understand what Hebrews is teaching, and, you're, and, I, and you think about your sins, and I preach this right now, what do you do? Well, if you are a Christian... You say, if I confess my sins, God is faithful and just to forgive me my sins and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. So as Christians, what do we do? We look to that sacrifice of Christ and we say, how can he forgive me my sins? Well, to the world, he can't. Something we must do. But for the Christian... As we even take the Lord's Supper monthly, we remember this is my body broken for you. We remember this one-time sacrifice. And what is the one-time sacrifice? It is the cross where Christ offered Himself and He perfected forever those who are being sanctified. And so that's why we sing such songs. That's why we worship. So this morning, if you can't sing, you can't worship, then maybe then everything I've got is just going right over your head. I pray that will not be the case this morning. But only the sacrifice of Christ will take care of our insurmountable sins. Another application. Context of this passage, again, according to verse 14, is sanctification. As New Covenant Christians, we are set apart as those who trust in the sacrifice of Christ. The application is our godliness as those who are set apart. When someone says to you, what is God's will for your life? What is God's will for your life? <laughs> what would you say? We, oftentimes we get off into other things and say well, maybe God will show me a sign or maybe it's this maybe it's that maybe I'll marry this person maybe I'll marry that person maybe I'll have this as my friend maybe I'll buy that house maybe I'll take that job and that's where we tend to spend our time thinking about the will of God but what is the will of God we should be really clear some of you guys might be able to quote the verse um, but Paul says this is the will of God your sanctification and so, 
in this context, he's talking about sanctified as being set apart. But the application for us is godliness and holiness. And, and I can just tell you right now, I'm going to spend just a few minutes talking about this. And then we're going to end the sermon because I've got way too much to go this morning. And I'm going to develop the next two truths more for next time. But look down at chapter 10, verses 23 to 26. And let's, I'm going to basically, again, end I feel this is necessary this morning, but in here this morning, with verses 23 to 25, when we think about our godliness, here, and by the way, the rest of the book of Hebrews is about how we live, about how faith works itself out in us in the way we live. And I look so forward, because Hebrews is spend doctrine after doctrine after doctrine and repetition after repetition and after, and Boy, we're going we're gonna to get there with, with, with the applications. But look at verse 23 and following. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. So he's just saying basically to those Hebrew Christians and to us, keep going. Today, keep going. Keep moving along. You feel like giving up? Do not give up. Look unto Christ who covered your sins as a Christian. But then he says this. And let us consider how to stir up one another to what? To love and good works. So let me ask you this morning. When you came, and I've been emphasizing this more and more recently. What attitude did you have when you came this morning? Was it? Boy, I can't wait to, to get something today and see, you know, what God would have for me. That certainly comes. But did you come with this thought? How will I stir the person next to me up to love and good works? What can I give? I, I'm convinced if we have that, that mindset, brothers and sisters, we will be a, we will be a really different church in the coming days. And I hope that that's something maybe the Lord is showing us that we might even as elders emphasize more and more and more, especially in our home groups. And that's where we meet together. But even today, how can I help you? How can I pray for you? What can I do? So he says, let us consider, (laughs) even going back to consider, do you consider on Saturday night how you might stir Someone else up to love and good works? Do you think about, how many, how many of us have home group today? I'm just curious. Raise your hand. Probably about half of us. You know, this is for me. It's for all of us. How do we consider how we're going to go to our home groups today and stir one another up for love and good works? But then he says next, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. There is a lot there in our very busy um, society. For the most part, it's sports. For the most part, I think. But our lives are so busy with communities and meetings and other things. Um, How do we do that? He says, do not neglect meeting together. Well, that's, that's part of our sanctification, as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another 
How have you been? How have I been this week encouraging the ones that sit beside us, the ones that are in our home group? Uh, you know, some people are better at encouragers, being encouragers than others, that's for sure. As some people are gifted, more gifted in that area, but we can all encourage one another. All the more as you see the day drawing near. That is ultimately looking to the second coming of Christ. So today, I would urge you to pray for your own godliness. I, I think that's something that we can pray for, and we should pray for. If, if we want to pray the will of God, and God's will is your sanctification, then should you not pray, God, make me more godly. And then, listen to God as you read your word, the Word of God daily, and as, you, as the Holy Spirit opens up things to you, you should be praying, God, make me more godly. Make me a better husband. Make me a better wife. Make me a better child and a, and, and a grandfather and a grandmother and grandparents and a, and a worker in this life. Whatever we're doing, God, make me godly. And, and I think God will. In fact, I know He will. And beyond that, which is something we see particularly emphasized with Christ, we should be praying for a heart that would love God. Jeremiah asked me this week, John, how can I pray for you? And I, he probably thinks, John just gives me these generic prayers. He wants specifics. Well, I have lots of specifics. But at the end of the day, I want Jeremiah to pray that I would love God more. Because I know that's what's going to cause those specifics down the road. And then we meet together and we talk about other things. But it's the heart. So I, I ask you this morning, where's your heart? Is it bent towards loving God and His people? Because isn't, what, what, are, the, what are the greatest commandments? What, how are they summed up? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what else? Love your neighbor as yourself. And so as Christians today, we are the ones who've had our sins forgiven and have the power of the Holy Spirit, and we are cleansed in such a way that we actually can do that effectively. We can do that. And so with that in mind, if, if, if you're not a Christian this morning, and again, you say, John, the, the I believe everything you're saying, but you look, I look at my own life and it is just, it's not what you preach and what you say and what the, what the Bible, I believe, teaches. And I would say to you, trust in Christ. I don't care how long it's been. You've been, maybe been sitting here for years. Trust in Christ. Believe that Christ died for your sins and He died upon the cross and His, His righteousness, is, if you trust in Him, will be given to you and all of your sin will be laid upon Him. That is really the gospel. So looking forward, guys, the next two truths. When we, as we conclude this section, we'll see that it is a victorious sacrifice. Next time we'll think about sitting at the right hand of God and sitting victoriously now, a one-time sacrifice, and then we will look back at the Scriptures and show how this one-time sacrifice all the way through the Holy Spirit was showing them and us about this sacrifice. So with that in mind, Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time this morning.
Thank You for Your goodness to us. Thank You for these words from the Bible. Um, from Hebrews 10. Father, this one-time sacrifice. It is, it is beautiful. It's one time because we don't need to trust in any other sacrifice. It was for all time. Perfecting the church. Perfecting those who draw near. Perfecting those who are sanctified. Perfecting believers in the Lord Jesus, those who have received Him. It is a one-time sacrifice. And it is a sin-bearing sacrifice. It is effective to take care of our conscience and to cleanse us. Father, we would not be here today if it were not for the cleansing power that flows down to us from the sacrifice of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us this week that we might live godly lives. Father, that we might share the gospel, that we might even invite our neighbors to come. If, we're, if we don't feel comfortable sharing, may we invite our neighbors to come, even to church here, and sit and listen to the gospel. And Father, may it be preached every week. I pray most of all that you would give us grace to love, love you more in the face of Christ. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove to find us. You can also find us on Apple Podcast. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove. You can also join us at the South Rowan YMCA, 950 Kimball Road, China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.